Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, December 1st is brought to you by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Reached a new low by Michael Girardi, one of my favorite Michael Girardi uh, songs. Reached a new low. Have we reached a new low in the city of Chicago? Have we reached a new low with our budget that was just passed last week? Have we reached a new low in relationships between aldermen and the mayor? Or have we reached a new high? It's just a promise of democracy that's finally flourishing in the city where aldermen dare to uh, dissent from the mayor. And yet the mayor still works to craft together a majority to pass the budget and then celebrates by smoking a cigar, drinking a beer, and eating a steak. Not necessarily in that order. Scotch. Oh, scotch. It wasn't beer. I knew it. Thank that's why we have Dave Glowads here. Among other things, he's going to tell us uh, if we reached a new high or we reached a new low. Or if I know Dave Glowads, he's not really going to take a stand one way or the other in any of these things. It'll go, well, Ben, what do you think? <laughs> Dave Glowads, welcome back to the show, young man. It's really great to be here, Andy. You will never stop in telling us what you think, will you? No. Well, you tell me what you think all the time, but you just never do it on the air. Oh, my God, in the old days, this guy's such a freaking lefty. He would be pushing me to the left. Ben, the Dems. But you wouldn't know that from here. You're, you're screwing up my reputation of journalistic objectivity. Uh, I'm sorry. The man has, he has, he's a human being, ladies and gentlemen, okay? It's like. You don't know that. Like, that's true. He could be a robot. Anyway, Dave Glowatz, let's take the deep dive Uh about once a month or so, Dave comes on and he has excerpts from the city council meetings. Uh, we do not, he does not share them with me uh, beforehand. So I really don't know what he's going to do. I just follow his lead. As I said, we're dance partners and he's John Travolta. <laughs> and um, what's the lady's name in Pulp Fiction, D? Uh, Uma Thurman. Oh, yeah. I'm Uma, I'm Uma Thurman, just following his lead. <laughs> Uh, so, um, <laughs> uh, so what do you got for me? It was 29 to 21 was the total vote in favor of the budget last Tuesday. That'll be the headline. I don't want to give anything away because I have a feeling you're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, so Dave Goetz, take it away. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the city's 2021 budget. And I guess it would be helpful to tell our listeners why the city has a budget. And I, I'm just going to take it to the really simple perspective of the average person thinking about when next year comes, they're going to figure out how, how much they need to live and what their living expenses are. And, you know, you've got things like rent balanced against things like your income. And I'm sure that many of our listeners have experienced because of the pandemic, a change in their income, but their expenses, living expenses have stayed the same. 
So that same thing has happened to the city that because of the pandemic, there's a whole bunch of income that the city gets in terms of things like taxes on restaurants and hotels that are you know, a significant part of its, of its revenue that have gone way down. Meanwhile, the expenses that the city has to operate, many have stayed the same and some have gone up. For instance, one of the big ones is that the state has mandated a certain increase in the amount that the city must make to workers' pensions. And that's going going up pretty radically. There's what's called a ramp. It's going up every year. So that's a dilemma that the city found itself in in looking at the 2021 budget. And the city has a, a calendar budget year, namely it starts on January 1st. So it had to, by law, pass a budget before the end of this year. Unlike the state of Illinois, whose budget begins on what day, Ben? Uh, June 1st. July 1st, close. Oh. June 1st is the, usually the date where they have to uh, have the vote, uh, the budget passed. But you're correct. I said correct. It's okay. So that's what, that's uh, <laughs> essentially what's going down. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. I had a flashback to getting something wrong in high school. And the teacher looking at me going, you have some serious problems here, but we will pass you anyway because I'm sick of looking at you in the same classroom for the last year. Go ahead, yeah. yeah here David, I had that flashback. You're, you're in a situation where your teacher looks like John Travolta, too. Yes, like, and he like, dances like Travolta. Go double, ahead. Doubly charging. Um, so you alluded to the vote on the budget. So on November 24th, the city council met to consider the budget proposals by the mayor, Lori Lightfoot administration, there were actually a whole bunch of ordinances that the budget consists of, and I'm going to focus on three of them. Okay. One, one is what's called the appropriations ordinance, and that simply lays out what are we spending money on in all the city departments. So that's the, the expenses. And for those keeping score at home, that ordinance number is 5775 and I believe you said the vote was? 29 to 21. That's right, 29 in favor. Mm -hmm. And as budget votes go, across the many years that you and I have been observing city council budget votes, how would you uh, compare this one to prior ones? No, it's closer than anyone that we've had since. And go, you have to go back to council wars in the 1980s, and I think, that was even that was well before I knew you. Uh, so it's the it, it is the closest budget vote we've had in the last. Oh, my God. Can I do the quick math? Thirty four years, I'd say, or thirty three years. But still a relatively comfortable lead, you know, by eight votes. So that was on the appropriations votes. There are two what we call revenue ordinances in this budget. And it's divided simply in, into revenues that don't come from property taxes. So they do come from other taxes, like things I mentioned earlier, like the hotel tax and uh, other fees. That one was, uh, that ordinance number is 02020-5743. And then there's the property tax levy ordinance, 02020-5747. On the first one, the non-property tax revenues, the vote was the same as for the appropriations ordinance. In other words, it was 29 in favor, 21 against, and it was the same set of aldermen voting both ways. On uh, the property tax levy ordinance, it was slightly different. There were 28 
in favor. So one alderman decided uh, to support, I'm sorry, to <laughs> not support yeah. property tax levy revenues, but the other. Oh, what a that, joke. That was Alderman Stephanie Coleman yes. of the South Side's 16th Ward. That's correct. So where would you like to go first on this, Ben? Where would I like to go first on this? Um well, why don't we start with the uh, property tax levy, if, if you have uh, bits to play on that. Uh, it's, it's a delightful little, if you have anything on that one. Um, that's one of my favorite little dances, speaking of dances, uh, in this case, Stephanie Coleman. She's not the first person to do this, by the way. They uh, To vote against increasing the taxes and then to turn around uh, and vote to spend the taxes that she voted not to increase, which I always thought was a little inconsistent. I think I don't think you can have it two ways. I mean, you can literally. She did, uh, but I don't think it's it's an accurate. It, it, it it's not like honest government. If you want to say, if you're not going to vote, uh, if you don't believe that uh, it's fair to raise taxes on property owners, then you should not then vote to spend the money. You got what I'm saying? It's like, it, it's just a great inconsistency. And you do it solely just to cover yourself. So it's like you could say, well, I, I voted to protect you from uh, expenditures. You know, I, I voted to protect you from raising your tax, your property taxes. Then you turn around. Yeah, but you voted to spend them. So I, I say we stop start with that. That's my idea. What's your idea? Dennis, let's do Coleman first. Well, let's have Alderman Coleman explain herself. Uh, okay. I, I won't speak for her. Let's hear what she had to say. Alderman Coleman. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, I respect and appreciate your leadership. I am proud to serve and work with your administration as a strong black progressive woman. Despite my admiration for this group and their hard work, I still can't support even a modest increase in real estate taxes. The property owners in my ward cannot afford to pay more. Today, I prioritize my community in this tough decision. I will vote against the property tax increase, but Mayor Lori Lightfoot and to this great council, I do support our budget. So it sounds like she wants to have it both ways, Ben. Uh, you might remember that uh, prior to this, the mayor reportedly had private meetings uh, by video conference, I presume, with members of the Aldermanic Black Caucus in which she said she essentially threatened them reportedly by saying, if you vote no on my budget, don't expect shit from me. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, you know, some might read into Alderman's Coleman's, uh, Alderman Coleman's Remarks that she's uh, saying, uh, don't hurt me. <laughs> I'm going to do this, but don't hurt me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's by the way, yes, that's a good point. You notice the respect in which we, uh, uh, Alderman Coleman, uh, Alderman Coleman, I should say, addresses uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, the, the deference uh, that she shows her. Uh, so she's very making it very clear that even though she's voting against the property tax increase does not mean she's voting against Lori Lightfoot. It should not be viewed as a sign of disrespect. And that's so important. We'll probably be talking about this later on, uh, Dave, but we'll coming back to this again and again. It's so important with that relationship that aldermen have with the mayor and the way the mayor uh, based, it's really like this folklore, this myth that Chicago's Chicagoans subscribe to. And it's really spread by the mainstream media that a mayor 
is only really effective if he or she can win budget votes by commanding majorities. And I don't subscribe to this uh, view, Dave. I, all the mayor needs is 25 votes. Yes, she's the she casts a deciding vote. So I've said this many. I don't understand what why they're tripping over whether she gets 35 or 38 or 45, etc. It means uh, nothing in terms of like whether it passes or it doesn't pass. But so Lori Lightfoot is very conscious uh, that she's not going to get the same number of confirmation votes that she got last year for her budget. She's not getting the same number of votes that Rahm Emanuel got, that Mayor Daley got. Uh, she's very aware of that. People won't let her forget that. That drove the coverage of the, the whole budget debate coming up to Tuesday's vote. And so she, Lori Lightfoot's aware of that, and she sees it as a sign of respect. And so Stephanie Coleman must assure Lori Lightfoot that even though she's voting no, and even though that her no vote will reduce the, the number of yes votes that Lori Lightfoot can brag about while she smokes her cigar and drinks her scotch and eats her steak, that does not mean she disrespects her. Very important protocol by Alderwoman uh, Stephanie Coleman as she votes uh, no on raising taxes. Dennis, let's do Burnett next. But the um, does that mean okay? Yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, Dennis and I are looking at each other. Um, the mayor, however, is uh, I should say, however, and we know that the mayor is sensitive to this sort of deference and this respect. And this is brought out by uh, comments from 27th Ward uh, Alderman Walter Burnett on the west side. Let's hear what he had to say. Alderman Burnett. This budget has a lot of compassion in it. So much compassion that all my colleagues have touched on it, that you touch every community, Mayor. So I just want to say to you, to all other people in your administration, everyone that's been involved, all of the caucuses, the Black Caucus has worked so hard and we all came together. I just want to say thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Hopefully we will continue to try and figure out a way to bring some of these taxes down in the future and make things better for folks. But in the interim, we have to continue to move forward. We have to continue to put ourselves in a position to be able to attract more to this city. Because I see a lot of horizon, a lot of great horizons coming after we get these vaccines, after things get back in gear. I think we're going to be doing very well, but I think we're going to be in a better position to be able to deal with it and help our community. So, Mayor, I just want to say I commend you on what you've done. I admire all of the things that you've done and talking to everyone, everyone, even folks you didn't even want to talk to, you spoke to and trying to make this budget better. I just want to say thank you, and I support this budget. Thank you, Walter. You made me cry. <laughs> you touched my heart, and I appreciate you. He made her cry, Ben. Yes, he made her cry. Thank you, Walter. Uh, and it should have been thank you, Alderman Burnett, but whatever. She got ca 
caught away, uh, caught up in the moment of crying. I should tell people a little bit of Walter Burnett. Walter Burnett's the alderman of the 27th Ward, which is now a West Side Ward. Uh, originally, uh, Walter Burnett, uh, he came from Cabrini Green, which is on the north side. So they, re- in order to keep, uh, to f- create a ward for Walter Burnett, Burnett they moved uh, it from Cabrini Green, which is roughly Halstead uh, on the east, all the way uh, into to the west side uh, to create him a ward. That was back in the 1990s. Uh, and uh, Walter Burnett is um, that uh, speech he gave is a very familiar one from Walter Burnett. Uh, I think every year he uh, gives a similar speech as he rises to support the mayor, whoever that mayor is. He's what you would call a mayor loyalist. I'm not going to say rubber stamper because that would be like putting some uh, kind of what, like negative spin on it. Let's just say he appreciates mayors. Uh, he appreciated Mayor Daly. He appreciated Mayor Rahm. So if you're going to be consistent, and I appreciate Walter for being consistent. How about that? A lot of appreciation. If you're going to be a mayoral loyalist, if you're going to support Mayor Daley, and you're going to support Mayor Rahm, then why shouldn't you support uh, Lord Lightfoot? It's the same budget games are all playing, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a balanced budget. They're projecting a balance, as Dave said. They're projecting they're going to get enough money to meet the expenses that they have. Well, you know, who knows what's going to happen next month? My bet is that like in February or March, they'll go, oh, my God, our projections weren't as rosy as they should have been. Uh, and, and we're in a debt. We have a huge deficit. We're going to have to raise taxes to accommodate. This is traditional budgeting in the city of Chicago. Mayor Rahm did it. Mayor Daley did it. And uh, Daddy Daly, old man Daly, invented this game. And so uh, if you're going to support essentially this facade that we have a balanced budget, if you're going to support the notion uh, that the city is well run by an all-powerful mayor who is benevolent and looks out for our interests, when that mayor is Daly and when that mayor is Rahm, then you should be consistent and do it when Lori Lightfoot is the mayor. Uh, but some aldermen didn't. We'll get into that in, in a little while, uh, Dave Gladz. So, yes, Walter Burnett singing the praises of uh, Lori Lightfoot, bringing tears to her eyes, uh, commending her, appreciating her, loving her. Uh, <laughs> look, far be it for me to cause trouble in paradise. But, Lord, I'm just saying it. He said the same things to Daily Aram too. You know what I'm saying? He may. I think he may have made Rob cry a couple times. I was going to ask that, and I'm guessing he's never made you cry, Dennis. We're going to do Sanchez next. It's very interesting to me. To um, got that. Uh, it's very interesting to me that this this starts to show us the difference in perspective that aldermen have about the degree of collaboration that they feel the mayoral administration had with aldermen in doing some compromising around what aldermen wanted to uh, have put in and taken put into and taken out of this budget and that's uh, the, the sort of contrast is exemplar, uh, exemplified by remarks from alderman rosana rodriguez sanchez of the 33rd ward let's hear what she had to say alderman rodriguez sanchez we're voting on a budget that continues to prioritize policing over all other services to support our communities. A budget that continues throwing money at an institution that has demonstrated itself to be resistant to reform and that has cost us more than a billion dollars in the last decade in misconduct lawsuits and servicing debt to pay those lawsuits. 
property tax increases will inevitably result in rent increases that will impact people already behind on the rent payments and their ability to stay in their communities. Our people are desperate. In what may be one of the worst recessions ever, this budget does nothing to provide economic support. In fact, it will make our communities' economic conditions worse over time. The new investment in violence prevention, which is welcome, is $10 million. Our police budget is $1.7 billion. We got $2 million to split between two crisis response pilots. That's not enough by any stretch of imagination to even complete a planning phase for either pilot. This is a budget that relies on regressive revenue measures like parking meters and ticketing instead of looking at alternative directed at making the wealthy pay. We're voting on a budget that includes promises without plans, plans without personnel or metrics, or ways to hold our agencies accountable in their execution. If a budget is a statement of values, this budget process reflects that we don't regard mutual respect or collaboration as a value. And the budget itself reflects that we don't regard transparency, a fundamental element of good governance and accountable government administration as values. It also has highlighted that the council, unless it transforms itself, is a hostage to the executive branch who treats the council as a temporary transactional inconvenience. We can talk about some wins, but in the old school transactional method of scoring political points, but these are not wins, especially in the context of this historical moment where we have an opportunity to create a new path, or a new paradigm. It's a pretty stark contrast from Alderman Burnett's remarks. She talked about the, uh, the administration holding the council hostage mm -hmm. and uh, viewing the council as a temporary transactional inconvenience. Yeah, it's... Um... It's really hard to argue with anything uh, Alderwoman uh, Rosanna uh, Rodriguez Sanchez said. And by the way, one more time, she'll be our guest tonight at First Tuesday with Peter Cunningham. Uh, and so you will be hearing more of uh, her uh, view of the world, her progressive view of the world. This is She's a member of the Socialist Caucus in the Chicago City Council. Um, she's an unapologetic progressive. She doesn't want to back down. And she thinks that this is a moment, in this critical moment, uh, where the city should be imposing taxes on the wealthy, the people who can most afford to pay it, in order to support programs for the people hardest hit by the pandemic. So they, uh, and uh, to uh, have initiatives that really, um, confront the issue of police brutality uh, in black neighbors. That's what it's all about for the progressive wing of the uh, Chicago City Council. And this budget really doesn't do much uh, in that area on any of those fronts, uh, Dave, uh, to address those, those, those values of the progressive caucus. Well, I should say the Socialist Caucus, because it's going to get really complicated. We have so many caucuses now uh, in the city of Chicago. So, uh, I don't know how I could argue with anything she says. This is why I'm saying this is a very traditional budget. It's a punt budget. It's a budget that's crafted in order not to offend the wealthiest people in the city of Chicago. It's a budget intended to minimize the property tax. We're going to have a lot of conversation, I think, about the property tax coming up. And my guess is you play some other excerpts of people who oppose the property tax hike. So it's a very traditional, conventional budget. Uh, that's why I said I, I I have a hard time really believing the uh, 21 people who voted uh, no, except for the progressives, except for the radicals, the lefties. 
You know what I'm saying? There, there's a principal reason why they're against this budget. If you're against this budget because of a $94 million tax hike, you're being very inconsistent with how you voted in the past. That's all I'll say. So, um, uh, D- uh, Dave, I have a hard time really criticizing anything she said because I think it's very accurate. Well, some of her progressive colleagues disagreed with that. Dennis, we're going to do Haddon next. And one of the things that Alderman Rodriguez Sanchez talked about was the amount of money in this budget for uh, something that falls under the general rubric of violence prevention. So the, the administration put some millions of dollars into things like funding for things that we, we know of as violence interrupters. They also funded a what's called a co-responder model. And this has been in the news a lot recently where advocates for this type of um, violence prevention mechanism allows for calls to 911 for uh, 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 situations where people are perhaps mentally disturbed or in dire need are not responded to by police, but are responded to by social service or medical um, professionals or in the co-responder model, police accompany those professionals. And there's money in this budget for that. And that was enough to sway some of the, quote, progressive, unquote, votes in the council. And one of them we're going to hear is from Alderman Maria Haddon of the 49th Ward on the city's north side. Let's hear what she had to say. Alderman Maria Haddon. This budget is not a reflection of what Chicagoans need and deserve. This is not a people's budget. And the process we followed is not one that faithfully incorporated the input of the people of this city. I won't pretend this budget reflects the values that our administration and city council claim to hold. I'm voting aye because that was the cost of a non-law enforcement mental health response model being included in the pilot for this year. Movement leaders have led on treatment, not trauma, and I believe that this opens a pathway, a necessary pathway for progress to them. Many of my residents have expressed disappointment and anger towards this budget. I stand by my decision because I know that I'll keep fighting for the bigger structural changes we must see, but couldn't achieve this time. But I do feel it's my duty to share the views of 49th Ward residents, many of whom are outraged to see another budget presented to them that is so out of line with our values and out of sync with our needs. Madam President, my esteemed colleagues, our residents don't trust us. They hear us say one thing and they watch us do another. Now, there's an example of making sure there's a message delivered with the yes vote. Yes. And by the way, uh, Maria hadn't said just as forcefully exactly what um, Rosanna said. Alderman uh, Rodriguez Sanchez. There's really no difference other than the yes and the no vote. There was really no difference in the substance of their criticism. Uh, the head said that her yes vote was essentially a quid pro quo for getting this co-responder model funded. So somebody cut a deal with her that they were not able to cut with Rodriguez Sanchez. Well, just so I uh, cut a deal. I mean, I, you sound like me. <laughs> well, I am talking Let's to you. <laughs> Let's cut a deal. So, like, well, she admitted it. Yeah, I mean, well, she didn't say we cut a deal. <laughs> it's like what I would say. 
<laughs> cut a deal usually means, oh, my good friend Rick Munoz was the master of cutting the deal. Ben, here's how we're going to do this thing. So I'm going to vote for the budget, but I'm going to get something for this. Oh, yeah. And so you like, I don't know, you get some TIF money for a community center or something. I, you know what I mean? You get something very specific. Uh, so the, the deal that Maria hadn't cut, she could a deal, uh, was a, in the larger uh, venue of providing social service, the co-responder model. So I guess they, I, she got the, the city uh, to agree to that. She got the mayor to agree to that. But the point I was making is that the substance of her critique of the budget is no different uh, by and large from Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. It's not a progressive budget. It's not a budget that reflects the values that we've ran on. And that's absolutely true. Lori Lightfoot did not run on a budget uh, that would um, increase money for the police department. Uh, and she did not run on a budget uh, that would put a greater onus on uh, fees and fines, as I recall, she ran out of when she was running as a candidate. She very much uh, argued against red light cameras and using monies like that uh, to fund government. But this, so this is a, more of a regressive budget. Now you can make the argument that these are dire times and our our um, options are limited by the pandemic. You can make that argument. It's a compelling argument to make in the middle of the pandemic, but you cannot with a straight face say that this is a progressive budget because it's a very regressive budget in my humble opinion. It's like a ROM budget. It's just, it's like more of the, the same thing ROM did. And what Maria Haddon is saying is I got this concession and it's not enough, but it's enough for me as a good faith to ex- uh, exchange it for my yes vote so that she increases to 29. Because <laughs> the budget would have passed without Maria Haddon's yes vote. Isn't that correct, young Dave? And so instead of 28, it's 29. So it makes Lori Lightfoot feel better. Well, you know, they didn't know. The administration didn't know how many people would then not vote for the other ordinances, right? They, they had to have at least a comfortable margin. This, I think they needed you, 25 votes. Yes, go ahead. I understand. And, yeah, I think you put your finger on this point that, uh, or the reason, uh, reasoning behind this point that the people don't, our residents don't trust us. I think it has to do, that statement has to do with what you said around the pledges by candidate Lightfoot about what sources of revenue and which ways to get income that perhaps are not reflected in this budget. Dennis, we're going to do Rosa next. And just to have a a, uh, identification of what those possible sources are, we're going to next listen to Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa of the 35th Ward on the Northwest side. And let's listen. Uh, The audio is loading at the moment. Dave, you're doing a great job. Love this segment. I like your voice, actually. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. I uh, while the while it's loading, let me just say this: Maria Haddon, 49th Ward, Rogers Park, far north side of Chicago. She was elected in the uh, for first time in 2019. She defeated defeated Joe Moore, who's the longtime incumbent up there. And Joe started off 
this is uh, uh, sort of like a little lesson in Chicago history. He started off uh, every bit much of an independent rabble rouser uh, to the left that Maria Haddon is. And then over time, he moved steadily toward the right uh, in the local level, uh, became more and more of a mayoral loyalist until he was of the Walter Burnett persuasion, and he would get up and extol the virtues of a mayor. Uh, what a great mayor, and what a great budget, and I know there are naysayers out there who will say, more money for progressive causes. We all want progressive causes. We all believe in progressive causes, but where is that money? You've not identified any sources of that money. Our mayor has worked tirelessly and valiantly to find a fair and equitable way to fund the programs we need. Is it perfect? No. But what is perfect, Dave Glowatz? Is your bicycle perfect? No. Hey. Some tires have more air in them than other tires. That's my Joe Moore imitation. <laughs> and so yeah, then he ends up voting for the mayor's budget. And then he goes, thank you, mayor. I have seen you work tirelessly. I have seen that light on in your bedroom at four in the morning. I've got wait, wait, what's he doing there outside of retro? <laughs> What do you Joe know that Moore I don't? And before Joe Moore was Bernie Stone. There are those who say. There are those who say. You liberals. Uh oh. <laughs> but hang tight, everybody. We're, we're, we're going to get a Bernie Stone impression. 50th Ward. Joey Moore is the 49th Ward. Their council meetings in those days, Joe Moore was the radical, and Bernie would sit there and go, "You're an idiot. Why are you reading those Benjarovsky columns? Come on over to our side." And it's oh. and Joe goes, "You're right. I like what you're saying, Bernie. Forget Benjarovsky and Dave Glowatz and Doctor D. He's just a pothead anyway. Hey. I'm gonna become." Which, which one of us are you talking about? <laughs> I just wanted to, yeah, which one indeed. Uh, anyway. Well, let's, so, listen, let's listen to Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Okay. I could never win on this program. Here we go. Alderman Ramirez Rosa. Last Monday, I asked 35th Ward residents to respond to a brief survey asking their thoughts on the 2021 budget proposal we are voting on today. Of survey respondents that identified as 35th Ward residents, 92% did not support this budget's property tax hike scheme. That overwhelming majority wanted our city to pursue alternatives. What alternatives? 62% wanted to cut CPD's $1.7 billion budget. Another 10% would maybe support such cuts. 74% wanted to see a new tax on Amazon warehouses and other package distribution centers. 61% wanted to draw a larger amount from our 900 million rainy day fund. 71% wanted to see our city pursue payment in lieu of taxes from large land holding nonprofits. 63% wanted to see a more aggressive TIF surplus. And 71% supported raising the real estate transfer tax for properties that sell for over $1 million. I know that some of my colleagues are voting yes under duress today. Arms were twisted, threats were made. I know some of my colleagues are voting yes because of concessions won by the Black Caucus, Latino Caucus, and Progressive Caucus. While I'm proud of the concessions we've won and progress we've made, 
I know that if we had stood together and held out just a little bit longer, we could have protected our wards working families from the harm of yet another property tax hike. Dennis, we're going to do Sig Cho next. Mm. Um, Lopez. Uh, yeah, you're, uh, you're, you're leading the witness here. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I want to point out uh, around Alderman Ramirez Rosa's comments is he talked about the rainy day fund. So this is, as it sounds like, it's a fund uh, that currently reportedly is around $900 million that the city has to... Uh, to use to dip into in case of emergencies. And so some argue that this is an emergency situation, but the city decided in the 2021 budget to use only $30 million of that rainy day fund. So Ramirez Rosa is talking about the fact that, hey, you know, why not? <laughs> I got, why not go for more? You know, if it's, if it's our rating now, you know, and, and the, but the administration's comeback is that, well, you think it's rating now. It's, it's probably going to get worse yeah. in 2021. And so we have to be careful. Also, one of the things that um, the city has to look at is how much it costs to borrow money. And there are interest rates for borrowing money and the city borrows a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, affects the amount of interest that the city must pay is its rating as you know, sort of uh, a good fiduciary, fiduciary manager of its uh, revenues. Mm-hmm. And this idea of how much money is setting in reserve has a big impact on that. And we're going to listen to someone who is going to tell us about that in a second. But do you have any comments about Alderman Ramirez Rosa? Well, now we're getting into the heart of alternatives and alternatives uh, to the property tax hike. And I'm holding off on my discourse on the property tax until we get to some of the other aldermen that I think are coming up. Although, since we didn't do any pre-show planning and we're totally imp- improvising, I don't know what you have up your sleeve. That is correct, Senator. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to hold off on that. Uh and uh, I will say this is an age-old battle in Chicago. And Carlos Ramirez Rosa is the dean of the uh, socialist in the city council. He, he used to be the only socialist in the council. And now there are, what, five others? Uh, so, that, so that because he oh, has a longer uh, tenure, they call him the dean. So he gets to be the dean. But I've heard he's picking up. Uh, a theme that had been echoed, that he's echoing, like uh, Rick Munoz to say this, Joe Moore used to say these things, Tony Preckwinkle, uh, way, way, way back uh, during the daily years would say similar things, always looking for alternatives. Uh, these are people who are generally left of center, always looking for alternatives uh, to conventional property taxes uh, to fund government. Maybe Tony Preckwinkle wasn't such a champion now that I think about it. But this is a, a refrain that's been really common in the last uh, seven or eight years since the progressive movement has taken hold in the Chicago City Council. And uh, it always runs into naysayers from uh, the mayor's office. And so uh, Lori Lightfoot's naysayers are no different than Rahm Emanuel's naysayers or uh, Mayor Richard uh, Daly's naysayers. You can't do it. You need legislative approval in Springfield. Springfield's a mess. We can't get that approval. It's so funny. I mean, they they just don't want to try. That's the reality. I mean, when they they, they wanted uh, a casino in spring out of Springfield, 
they got Mayor Lori Lightfoot went down to Springfield and cut a deal to use Dave's term and got a, uh, a casino. Yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so that casino is not going to be operating anytime soon. But the point is, where there's a will, there's a way. And there has never been a will to implement uh, these progressive ideas. And so it's just a constant refrain when people by Carlos Ramirez Rosa and then other. And this is what gets frustrating. This is what Maria Haddon was getting at, Dave. Other people pick up on the refrain. Lori Lightfoot picked up on the refrain. If you watch City So Real, the documentary about the 2019 mayoral race, you will hear almost every candidate other than Bill Daly and maybe Paul Vallis and maybe Jerry Chico, the three conventional out of corporate Chicago candidates, saying we need to be more progressive. We need to be less uh, regressive. We have to look at uh, ways of giving a break to our uh, poorest people and our middle, our struggling middle class and working class. You know, people say that when they run, and then as soon as they get elected, oh, wow, <laughs> that's too unrealistic. You old hippie, shut up. And so when I hear Carlos, I'm just hearing it, hearing an echo, Dave, of things I've heard from uh, left of center alderman for many years. Dennis, I changed my mind. I want to do Vasquez next. Um, the thing that you talked about, Ben, in terms of the ability of so-called progressive aldermen over the years to persuade the administrations in crafting their budget to consider progressive forms of revenue is very interesting to me. There's some debate, I think, on the council on whether it's even possible to uh, work with the administration in terms of how much ability, how much um, uh, heft do these aldermen have compared to the administration itself? I mean, are they on, on, a, on a level playing field in terms of competence, in terms of ability? And I want to turn now to one of the uh, self-described democratic socialists on the city council, Andre Vasquez of the, of the 35th Ward. 40th. Who, sorry? 40th, 40th Ward. Yes, 40th Ward. I stand corrected. He was the only, you can't tell if I'm standing or sitting, the only um, self-described democratic socialist on the council to vote yes for the budget. Let's hear what he had to say. Alderman Vasquez. I am voting yes reluctantly, not because of any intimidation by the executive branch, not as an abandonment of the principles that I share with those colleagues and comrades who wanted to see true progressive revenue options. Our restaurant, hotel, airport, and other industries was taxes fund our city government have been decimated by COVID. In addition, our public transportation and public event revenue is a fraction of what we could typically expect to generate, and we don't know when those revenues will return, if ever. I began looking at this budget within that context. This wasn't a budget in which my focus was about what I wanted to achieve, but about what the city needs to survive in the immediate. That required the work and research to dig into the problem and identify what could be done. It led to the discovery that this council is not adequately equipped or resourced itself to truly make the case for the alternatives that could be implemented. Part of my decision included a commitment from the administration to work together to create budget working groups of alders to commence at the start of the year so that this government can function for the people it serves and so we never have to be in this position again. When this budget was introduced, it brought together a coalition of the Black, Latino, and Progressive Caucuses to negotiate for a stronger, better budget. 
With the help of our partners in labor, such as the CFL and grassroots organizers, we stopped 350 layoffs of black and brown city workers. We minimized the furloughs. We separated the welcoming city ordinance from the budget vote. We increased funding for violence prevention programs that don't rely on police to the tune of 36 million. And we wrote into law the first ever non-law enforcement mental health response model in Chicago as part of a pilot. To Mayor Lightfoot's credit, she was open to discussions. She came to the table, she negotiated and accepted changes that were not in the initial budget proposal. I personally made calls directly to our mayor, unlike some, to communicate that I wasn't a default no and what we needed to engage and communicate to find solutions together. It was grueling and tense at many points, but the negotiations continued and we found agreement. I will always make the difficult choice for the city rather than saying I don't like anything in a budget and saying no before even looking at it. Finally, I want this council and this city to remember that last year, when a coalition of mostly black and brown alders voted no on the 2020 budget, we were publicly targeted by a custom-built campaign website. I do not expect that we will see the same treatment of some of the committee chairs and other powerful, privileged white aldermen this year who are relying on the votes of myself and many of my black and brown colleagues to pass a budget. Committee budgets have not been slashed. Those alders will still continue to enjoy staff, support, and control over the legislative process, and those imbalances are part of the problem. There are a couple of things I'd like to pick out of what Alderman Vasquez Many says. things, yeah, yeah, go ahead. One is the, um, this issue of his discovery, as I mentioned earlier, that the council isn't equipped to sort of do budget proposals as well as uh, the mayor's staff is. And then there's this other thing about uh, Alderman being targeted for voting no. Where would you like to start, Ben? Well, I'll, I could do both. Uh, uh, I'll start with uh, the city council not being equipped. Uh, and and this is, I, I always say this, I've, I've been around so long, everything's an echo of something I heard before. And when I'm listening to Andre Vasquez on the floor, alderman of the 40th Ward, newly elected uh, Democratic Socialist in his second year, his second budget, I'm reminded of Amaya Pawar, my dear friend from the 47th Ward. Amaya used to tell me, <laughs> I used to have many discussions with Amaya, I'm just laughing, because it would like, he would be talking, I'm thinking, Amaya, you think this thing is legit? You think this freaking thing? So Amaya would be go, Ben, all we need, I love you, Amaya, I'm just, I don't mean to laugh at your ideas, I, all we need is a budget analyst in the Chicago seat, that's all we need. Remember how hard he fought? I, freak, I think it was like a, a city council budget analyst sometime. Then they, they fought over who would be the budget analyst and the mayor Rob. This is so classic. Like Amaya said, I'll vote for your budgets and your tiffs and all your s slimy deals if you give us money in the budget for an analyst in the city council to analyze the budgets. And Mayor Rob said, okay. And then Mayor Rob said, I want to choose that person. <laughs> Like, what? <laughs> Why, what? To quote uh, Pat Whalen. So, oh, wait, is it? Wait, what? Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, so now Andre's saying, I got an agreement. Here we are, what, 10 years later or eight years later? I got an agreement for the mayor. We're going to have a working group with the mayor on budget stuff. All right, Andre, I hope it works out a little bit better than it worked with Mayor Rom. Because here's the reality. I hate to be the naysayer, and maybe I'll be wrong this time. But it's not in the mayor's interest to share information with aldermen. 
they information is power in the city of Chicago. If you hold on to that information, then you control what people know about the city. And you're the one leaking out. You make them beg for the information, file a Freedom of Information Act request. Dave Gloat filing one letter after another with the Department of Planning. Please show me the documents that you should have put on your freaking website in the first place. That consumes like how many months of our time? So no, Andre, I do not believe the mayor will work with you any more than I believe, didn't believe that the mayor would work with uh, Maya Pawar. And it was a different mayor, it was a different alderman. Uh, These relationships uh, stay the same. The other point that he made, I don't know if you saw that, unlike some who are just automatic no votes. That's a little dig, a little dig, a subtle dig. Did you notice that, Dave? I did, and I just, I'm really curious who he's talking about. It implies, or I infer, that he means that that this budget recommendation was dead on arrival for some who, like, like would not, like, he is is sort of castigating those who would not get into dialogue, as I read it, with... The mayoral administration. Well, here's 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 the reality, and this is the bias against the left that exists in the city of Chicago. There is a a bias against the left that is so pronounced. I see it all the time, and this is it. Just think about this. So he's obviously alluding to his fellow uh, socialist caucus members like uh, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez or Carlos Ramirez Rosa or Byron Sixual Lopez, uh, and. Um, Matt Martin from the 47th Ward, my alderman. He's obviously alluding to them like they're automatic no votes. Maybe I wouldn't put Matt in that position. I don't know what it. They're automatic no votes. Like they're just uh, ideologues who don't are pragmatists. You can't work with them. All they want to do is embarrass the mayor and work against the mayor and defeat the mayor. But I'm a little different than them. I'm reaching out to the mayor. And I'm on out of default, no vote. But if so, that's how lefties are viewed. But if you're one of the group of aldermen who voted no because you're against a property tax hike, if you're one of them like Brennan Riley, 42nd Ward voted no, uh, a centrist, Democratic centrist, actually endorsed the Republican candidate for uh, state attorney. attorney. Yeah. So you're even beyond centrist. You're like on the right side. You're like a Joe Manchin Democrat in the city of Chicago. If you're Matt O'Shea from the 19th Ward, you know, if you're uh, Anthony Napolitano in the 41st Ward, you vote no. Jim Gardner in the 45th Ward, you vote no. You're not an ideologue. You're not a default no. No, you're a, you're standing up for the property tax uh, payers of Chicago. So it's an interesting contrast. The city of Chicago is dedicated to undercutting a left of center movement. They glow as you know this as well as I do. You've been following this stuff as long as I have. They always want to demonize the left and trivialize the, uh, the left and malign the left because it's a threat. Like guys like Carlos who get up talking about taxing the rich, they're a threat to the pocketbooks of the well-to-do in Chicago. I'm really curious whether he was, in fact, trying to paint all those people that you named. And and I'm curious because I suspect that one or more of those Democratic socialists, those other Democratic socialists, at least had some contact with the mayor's staff or the people who work for what's called uh, uh, Intergovernmental Affairs, IGA. Gloria had. 
Well, we know that she, <laughs> we know that she had collaboration, but you know, the likes of say, uh, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez, you know, I could totally see her. This is just my impression of her. I could totally see her trying to collaborate. So I'm just, I really will never know unless we ask Mr. Vasquez. I, I think all of them. I know all these people. I, I, I know, I've known Carlos since he was a kid and he ran for office. So they're looking to cut deals like everybody else. So that's why I think it's yeah. Curious. I mean, let's, it's let's, like let's go back fall. to let's go back to this other point about. Well, that's a great point. <laughs> let's now. go back. Let's go, go back ahead. to this other point around the council being equipped. So you you sort of poo pooed this deal that uh, Mr. Vasquez says that he cut Absolutely. to uh, have these budget working groups, which I'll point out was a. Uh, a similar deal that was cut around the pandemic budget that uh, some aldermen who were on the uh, pandemic expense working group that was carved out of the budget committee got weekly briefings by the budget staff about how they were uh, hanging out with or how they were dealing with pandemic expenses. So this seems like it was modeled on that. So I'm imagining that going forward, the sort of parallel process where as you said, the, the administration has all this information. Are they going to start sharing it? And there's going to be this uh, sort of group, uh, sort of consensus emerge. But conspicuous by its absence to me is the other thing that you mentioned, was this budget analyst role <laughs> created yeah. uh, years ago at the behest of former Alderman Powar. And that is a city agency called the Council Office of Financial Analysis, abbreviated, abbreviated COFA. COFA has three staff people on it, a director and two analysts. A year ago, this time, uh, for, for a long time before that, there was only one person, the analyst and the director position was open. Mm -hmm. And about this time last year, the, uh, the COFA organization, that analyst and uh, the other person who was working there, they actually put out a bunch of documentation that were, was publicly available. You could go to the city's website where they analyzed the city's budget. That is not present this year, even though they've hired a director and they have two analysts on board. There's, there's been no updates to the COFA website since last year. You could look at all the last year's stuff, but you can't find anything here. So Vasquez doesn't even talk about that. Like there, there's, there's no talk about that. I tried to get from COFA what they recommended to uh, the city council members uh, in writing. And I have so far been unable to get that. They're, they yeah. won't respond. So that's an interesting sort of uh, omission right there. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I say this in all respect to like Dave Gloatz and Mick Dunkey and, and Danny Mopoulos and all these reporters who file these FOIA requests and they just send you down the labyrinth and keep you running around in a circle. It's not like they don't give this stuff up easy. They don't want you to know. It's like if they wanted you to know, then your like tax bills wouldn't lie about something as fundamental as the TIF program. They don't want you to know. It's just like like borrowing money. Like the city is now going to repackage some of their, their loans uh, and, and borrow more money. You just as you just said, I think it's five hundred and one million dollars. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I don't know if this is a, you have a clip on this one. Well, where's the an analysis of how much that's going to contribute to our uh, property tax bill? 
You know, where's the analysis of what what the annual like how much that breaks down to what what programs are going to lose out because of that? I mean, they don't want you to know. They, they say things like, well, we're going to be more efficient with our loan programs and that's going to save money. So thank you, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Huh? What? Okay. Yeah, let's listen to an alderman who makes that very point. Uh, Dennis Reno, do Beal next. But I want to close off on Alderman Vasquez with one of the last things he said. He talked about um, people who voted no on Mayor Lightfoot's first budget being targeted by a campaign website where uh, apparently her campaign organization put it up. And he speculated that... Some of the uh, sort of mainstream aldermen uh, that uh, voted no this time would not be targeted similarly. And let's let's just uh, perhaps infer who he's talking about. Some of the no votes were Alderman Tom Tunney of the 44th Ward on the north side, who is the chair of the powerful zoning committee. Um, Matt O'Shea of the 19th Ward on the south side, who is chair of the aviation committee. And Alderman Harry Osterman of the 48th Ward on the north side, who is the chair of the housing committee. Three white guys, I'll add. And um, we don't have audio of their comments, but um, Ben, perhaps you could tell our listeners why, why why it's notable that these these white guys voted no. All right. And uh, to that list, I would add Brendan Riley of the 42nd Ward, who's the deputy mayor, vice mayor, whatever they call it. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets to wield the gavel when the mayor's not available for a city council meeting. Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened in in the virtual era. But uh, yeah, I guess when the the mayor's gone to the washroom. Well, yeah. Or sometimes, uh, like, Rom, I think Rom would just say to Danny Solis, ah, I know you love doing this. I think I'm going to get a corned beef sandwich at Manny's. You just run the meeting for a while. And Danny, whoa, whoa. No, I think it was Daly. I get to hold the gavel, man. <laughs> oh, wow. The gavel. Um, but um, so, yeah, I mean, I just wrote a column about this. So this is fresh in my mind. These All these aldermen that Dave mentioned. Harry Osterman of the 48th Ward in Edgewater, uh, Tommy Tunney of the 44th Ward in uh, Lakeview, and, and Matt O'Shea uh, from the 19th Ward down in Beverly. They voted no. Brendan Riley in the 42nd Ward. And they're, uh, they chair committees. Is it Brendan Riley's the vice chair, so vice mayor. So they have powerful positions. And in the old days, when you chaired a committee, there was an expectation by the mayor that you would vote with the mayor. And that you would be the mayor's ally. And that's that's how the mayor kept on power. And so you know, now let's point out we, to our listeners that the way that these these guys got to be committee chairs is they were and in defiance of expectation of anyone who, say, dropped in from Mars and looked at this. They're appointed by the mayor instead of being appointed by their own fellow council member. Well, they're not literally appointed by the mayor, but the point you're making is a very good one. We have it all the time on the show with Mick Dumkey. It's one of his favorites is that uh, they're they're elected by their cohorts, but they're selected by the mayor. So the mayor says, I want here's what I'm going to do. She'll call him in. uh, She'll say, Harry Osterman, will you be my ally? I'll put you in charge of housing. Yes. Yes, Madam Mayor. And then the council uh, ratifies it. And, thank, you, uh, thank you for clarifying it. Yeah, and, we'd be elected and selected. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and so it's, um, 
I think it's absolutely a wrong way to do things. The legislative branch should be its own independent entity uh, from the executive branch. We should have checks and balances. And I agree with Mick. This is outrageous. uh, But isn't it interesting that they still, still are able to exercise their independence in this case? Well, yes. It's a sign that much has changed uh, in the city of Chicago uh, with the mayor. This, I just wrote this, uh, that the all like if you're Harry Osterman, you realize that you're safer in your seat as alderman than Lori Lightfoot is in her position as mayor. And she can't punish you. She can't. Uh, for, I have argued for long. You know this, Dave. You've heard me on this subject for years and years. I've argued that the mayor can't punish you anyway. If you're Tom Tunney, Tom Tunney's been alderman of the 44th Ward, which is in Lakeview on the north side of Chicago. Think Wrigley Field, ladies and gentlemen. That's the 44th Ward. He's been the alderman of that ward since I want to say, don't quote me in this day, but 2003, which is a long time. He was appointed by Mayor Daley. Then he got reelected. He was an ally of Daley. He was an ally of Rahm. And he's an ally of Lori Lightfoot. He will never lose. He will have quit and retired and moved to Florida. And 44th voters, as loyalist sheep, will be going, where's Tunney's name on the ballot? I want to vote for all. They love him. They love Wait, the Senate rolls. They love Is Ann there Ann Sathers in Florida? You're going well, you know, he'll just be cashing checks for Ann Sathers. The point is, he'll never lose. He had never had a reason to be a loyal flunky to Daly or Rob. They couldn't touch him. But now, apparently, in the new age of Lori Lightfoot, he's realized that. So he voted for all those dumb TIF deals that raise your property taxes. He voted for the parking meter deal, one of the worst deals in the history of Chicago. He voted for all of Mayor Daley's budgets and Mayor Rahm's budgets, but now suddenly he found independence. I guess he's come to the conclusion that Lori Lightfoot can't beat him, and who knows if she's even going to survive uh, the next re-election battle, whoever runs against her. So he's free to vote what he wants. And uh, same thing with uh, Matt O'Shea uh, down in Beverly. So, yeah, Lori Lightfoot's not going to um, – I don't think she's going to threaten them. or kick. Them. I don't think she has the votes to do so anyway. So far, I haven't seen any indication that these people have been threatened, but I do have here (laughs) a full page ad from the Chicago Tribune on November 30th that says, thank you, Mary, Mary, Mayor. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Chicago City Council members who stood with working people and approved the 2021 City of Chicago budget. It lists all the aldermen who voted yes and this was paid for by the Chicago Federal Federation of Labor. So it's sort of the taking the opposite tack instead of, you know, browbeating those who voted no. It's a big uh, full page pat on the back from um, the CFL. Ben, you get some money from CFL, don't you? Yes, Bob Ryder, a good friend of Ben Jarofsky, uh, from the moment I was fired by WCPT. And uh, he also took that ad out in the Sun-Times. Just want to let you know, D- uh, David. Uh, there was also a full-page ad in the Sun-Times. It's bigger uh, in the Tribune. Well, yeah, it's only because the paper's longer. But uh, anyway, um, the Chicago Federation, uh, Federation of Labor's attitude in this budget is that Lori Lightfoot should be commended for saving 350 jobs. And uh, their argument is that without Lori Lightfoot uh, raising the taxes and rounding up the 29 votes uh, that uh, they needed to pass the budget, it would be even worse. 
And I've heard this argument from Allerman as well, that um, that Mayor Lightfoot needed follow me on this one, uh, David. Mayor Lightfoot needed 25. That's all she needed. But she wanted the 26. So she didn't have to vote. So say 26. She needed those 26 votes to pass it. Uh, and the reality is, if she couldn't get the 26 votes for from uh, to raise the property taxes, she would have to go in the other direction to get the votes and try to win over a Tommy Tunney or to try to win over a Matt O'Shea or try to win over a, um, a Harry Osterman. And that would mean cut property taxes and that would mean lay people off. And so this is the argument that this is the best possible budget you can get under the circumstances of the pandemic. And I'm open to that to a certain degree, because I realize that um, this is a unique situation uh, and that uh, we are we're at a loss. I'm just thinking of all the businesses that have been shuttered, so all the revenue that's not coming in. So, uh, yes, hands are tied. Uh, and so I'm open to that argument that she would have gone to the right, if you will, Andre Vasquez is going to bring him on the show in about a week or so, Dave, and he's going to guarantee he will make this argument on this show, okay, that if he and Maria Haddon had not joined forces with those other aldermen, the Walter Burnett's of the world, who are always mayoral, mayoral loyalists, to help Lori Lightfoot pass a budget, she would have cut a deal with the Tom Tuddies and the Matt O'Shea's of the world and the Jim Gardner's of the world and the Anthony Napolitano's of the world, and they would have uh, lowered property taxes and cut those jobs. So that's the argument that they make. Is it enough to have gotten me to vote for this budget? Hmm. While you're thinking of that, let's hmm. listen to a person who uh, points out the amount of indebtedness that we're go that's going to result from this sort of uh, uh, backflips around the budget. And this is Alderman Anthony Beal of the Southside Ninth Ward. Alderman Beal. Last year's budget was a budget of hope that we would get money from the ambulance reimbursement fund to the tune of 163, 164 million. We didn't come anywhere close to that. We had a hope that we would get the real estate transfer tax passed in Springfield. We didn't get that. We also hoped that we would get the casino, which we did. But I guarantee you, we will not see a casino built in this city in this term. Right now, we are 0 for 3 as it relates to getting relief for our taxpayers. And now we resort to property taxes. Now we have the largest scoop and toss in the city of Chicago's history. This is what I call scoop and toss on steroids. <laughs> we are borrowing and refinancing $1.7 billion to kick the barrel down the road, not the can. We are now borrowing $15 million in order to avert the layoffs we could have found some structural changes in order to obtain that. But when we look to borrow more money in order to make ends meet is not sustainable. In my opinion, this has been the least transparent budget I've ever seen. The commissioners didn't answer half of our questions. Every question we had to get through the chair because they refused to answer the questions. I don't know if that was by design or if that was just not knowing the answers to our questions. That last point that Alderman Beal is making is that there were a bunch of hearings mm -hmm. organized by the Budget Committee where every department had had to sit and be grilled by aldermen 
about anything. You know, it was ostensibly about the budget, but there were some very interesting sort of going into the weeds just about department operations that went on. And Beal is claiming that uh, many times when Alderman asked department heads questions, they didn't have an immediate answer. And the protocol for that is to say, we'll get back to you. And the way they get back to you is that their staff will dig up the answer and then give it to the committee chair, who in this case is usually uh, Third Ward Alderman Pat Dowell, who is the budget committee chair. And then the chair distributes it to the committee members. But I've heard over the years that quite often, according to people I've spoken with, nothing happens, that uh, they simply just don't get back or the chair doesn't distribute them. Yeah. But he's making this point that you raised earlier, Ben, is about how much more indebtedness yeah. this budget creates. And one of them is the so-called scoop and toss thing, where essentially the city is refinancing its debt to get lower interest rates, but it extends the debt, some estimate in this case, is for as long as eight years. So the city ends up paying many more millions of dollars. And around this issue about avoiding the layoffs, I don't know if you've seen the reports about how they justified that, but they're getting money by essentially issuing weed bonds. So they're the city taxes, the sale of cannabis, and the cannabis sales have been pretty brisk. And so they're essentially estimating how much income is going to be gotten from city taxes on weeds because the city can impose its own tax. I, I, I don't know if that was passed in this budget. I think they may have dropped that. We, we talked about that in the show extensively. Um, I'm listen, pretty sure it's a- uh, uh, The role that Anthony Beal is, uh, is playing is very similar to the one, we've talked about this in the past, that Scott Wagusback used to play. Now he is part of the uh, Lord Lightfoot team, and so he's a finance chair, so he's not playing that role anymore. Uh, and I... I appreciate Anthony Beal for playing that role. Ray Lo- Raymond Lopez also plays that role. We've talked about his. Uh, they're like an alliance. They just don't like Lori Lightfoot. So I just put them in the category. They don't like. She just rubs them the wrong way. Because here's the reality. Everything he said about Lori Lightfoot and the budget could have been said about Mayor Rahman budgets. And could have been said about Mayor uh, Richard Daly in the budget. In fact, it was said by the Scott Wagusbacks of the world. You know, they're disingenuous. They're making projections that are absolutely favorable to their cause of saying it's a balanced budget, knowing full well that they may not come true, knowing full well that, let's say, a real estate transfer tax that you're anticipating won't occur because you don't get approval from the state, knowing that the casino, the revenues you're expecting won't come in because you don't have the casino built in time. Um, And then, you know, the pretense that, a scoop and toss is somehow a brilliant fiduciary move that's saving taxpayers money. Of course, that's a lie. Of course, it's going to cost you more money. You're just borrowing more money. So everything he's saying is accurate. But the reality is this. It was equally accurate uh, when the Scott Wagusbacks of the world said it about Rom and Daly. So it's interesting. And you're talking Bailey about didn't that say the, boo back then about he voted for all those budgets. You're talking about that the arguments have remained the same. Oh, Dennis, we're going to do Kappelman next. You're saying that the arguments have remained the same, but the people making them have changed yes. depending on who has recruited them, which mayor has recruited them for what purpose. Yeah. So that, so that that says that these these arguments are sort of evergreen, you know. Mm. Yes, evergreen. They will endlessly be rebirthing every year, every budget. 
Well, here's a here's another uh, perspective on why people might oppose. You know, we have this hypothesis that you and I have hatched here, or that you hatched, that there's sort of uh, an evergreen set of objections that uh, articulate the progressive perspective. But there's another perspective that I found very interesting, which was made by Alderman James Kappelman of the Northside 46th Ward. And let's listen to what he had to say. Alderman Kappelman, to be clear, this was a budget where the reaction to it was more generational in nature. The more visceral responses were often from those who identify as millennials and Generation Z given they are the first generation that is destined to be worse off than their parents. And along with all the other terrible issues affecting our planet, their anger is justifiable. Today's task is focused on getting a working budget for the city of Chicago. But our task tomorrow is to bring needed healing to those who are experiencing intense emotional pain. It may be hard to see their wounds because they cover them up with anger and for some with the use of shaming tactics. Social media feeds on it and does more to divide than unite. Nevertheless, we must move forward together to build trust with each other. For without that trust, polarization grows while our democracy breaks down. Authoritarianism quickly moves in to fill that vacuum, and that's dangerous. It's extraordinarily dangerous. He's got the preacher in him, doesn't he? Oh, wow. I don't know where to begin with that. Other he's than playing the age card. I thought that was yeah, really interesting. I, I don't know what to say. I'm an old fogey. I've been saying the same thing about Chicago budgets forever. Okay. And, uh, and by the way, I want to say most of those no votes were not millennials. I mean, uh, Carlos is a millennial, but um, Brendan Riley's not a millennial. Tell, Tommy Tunney's not a, a millennial. You know, uh, Matt O'Shea's not a millennial. See, this again, they're like, this is that thing where they vilify the left. They're always vilifying the left. And, and the objection that Beale made was not a progressive objection. That's what I call a good government objection. That you're not being transparent, you're not being honest. That's a Scott Wagesback kind of a objection, a Marty Oberman type of objection. That's different than a progressive objection or a lefty objection. We heard that from Rosanna and Carlos. Those are two separate breeds uh, in the city of Chicago. And so what Kappelman's trying to do in kind of like a like a strange passive aggressive way is to diminish the value of the argument that the Rosanna's and Carlos's are making about how cruel this budget is, trivializing it like by saying it's like a tweet and saying like he's the responsible one. It's like something very passive aggressive. You know what I'm saying? Like reducing them to the left wing version of Donald Trump. They're angry and they go to Twitter and they're cut off. We should bring them in. It certainly is no merit to what they say. It certainly is a unique perspective. It's not one that I had expected to hear. So I can't. I give credit for that. Kudos to Kappelman for being original. Although, again, Amaya Pilar was a step ahead of them. If you recall, in in one debate, he accused all the lefties in the council of Tea Party (laughs) tactics. Remember that? I do. So there's really not that much difference between the two. Amaya began it all. They're all reading from the Amaya Pilar book. Well, anyway. uh, Dennis, we're going to do Inspector next. 
So I've just got to, I'm going to think, do two more, Ben, before we close it off. And I want to bring up something that has been alluded to by, by some of these remarks, and that is the, the city's uh, huge por- the portion of the city's budget that is devoted to the Chicago Police Department. Mm-hmm. And some of the aldermen who voted no objected to the fact that that really hasn't been addressed, that there are these, they, they, they are unhappy that there are these relatively small carve-outs for violence reduction programs on the order of, you know, a million here, a million there, tens of millions. But it doesn't really, the, the city hasn't really, according to these aldermen, uh, addressed the, what some see as the inordinate, the disproportionate amount of resources that go into the police department. So I dug up this, this next bit from not the uh, November 24th city council meeting, but from one of the series of budget committee hearings of city departments that took place in the weeks prior. And what we're going to hear now is from Inspector General Joseph Ferguson, who was being grilled by um, Alderman just about his own department's budget. And in this case, he was asked a question about the consent decree by Alderman Harry Osterman of the 48th Ward. And let's listen. How long do you expect us as a city to be in the consent decree with the um, police department? A long time. I'm concerned about where we are. The consent decree is a floor. It's not the ceiling. Make no mistake, everything that the consent decree requires will get done over the long haul, but it's years in the process. And at this moment, one of our biggest challenges is leadership and not leadership from the perspective that people who are eyeball deep in all of this aren't working their tails off and leading. But let's look at the infrastructure at the moment of what we have in the way of reform. The deputy mayor for public safety left in the last few weeks. The chief risk officer, truly a marquee hiring. His first order of business related to police litigation has left. The head of the Office of Constitutional Policing, somebody I know that many members of this body have great admiration for, Barb West, she stepped down recently. The civilian commission leg of the overall reform architecture that was recommended by the Police Accountability Task Force headed by the mayor and the Justice Department. That still doesn't exist three years after this body created and enacted the first stage of infrastructure accountability. All those pieces are missing. The administrator of COPA is supposed to be selected by a civilian commission that doesn't even exist. And her term, which is an acting term, will run in the coming year. There have been some comments about my tenure and how long I last. And the public safety IG is tied to my term. All of these things, they're key to the overall architecture. And there are voids right now, or there are questions about their presence. All of this is a really complex backdrop while a new superintendent who came to the city without knowing the city, who's dealing with really, really significant challenges on the violent crime front and significant challenges relating to COVID and then the political environment that we're in is still learning the city and the job. And so your question, how long is this gonna take? We don't even have the infrastructure in place right now Mm. as we're doing the work. It's like trying to fix the airplane while it's in the air. It's really complicated. By way of another analogy, one thing that we see a lot these days in this entire realm is the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Take that and apply it to an octopus, and that's where we are right now. It's going to take a while.
<laughs> Whoa, what a riff. I gotta give him credit. The octopus line. Oh, yeah. no, I'm so depressed, Dave. I gotta have to hold on. I gotta do some day drinking. So, so again, the, the ramifications in terms of the budget is that the city, the police department is the largest parts of the city yes. budget, as Ron would say, number one. Number two, is that the city pays out, like over the last decade, has paid out hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. in settlements and judgments against police officers for, for misconduct. And in fact, it's even gone so far as to issue bonds to go into debt to pay some of these. So yeah. this this effort to rein all this in falls under the, the general category of this federal consent decree that Ferguson was talking about, which mandates a series of reforms that, according to Ferguson, are in serious trouble. Yeah, it was a very uh, depressing recitation uh, riff uh, that Ferguson went on. Very impressive, I might say. That octopus metaphor uh, really captured my imagination. It kind of stays with you, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, you really wrap your arms around. Yeah, uh, a lot of arms to wrap around. And um, so, yeah. And see, this is gets back to uh, what Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez was saying. Uh, this is not a budget that reflects our values. So there's all these vacancies of, in important positions that would supposedly administer a new way of policing in the city of Chicago. Uh, there's just a fraction of the amount of money uh, set aside to implement programs that would be like a, a new, f- like a deviation from the old way of doing business. Um, you know, yeah, this budget is far from perfect as a statement of values, a statement of where the city should be heading, uh, a statement expressing what so many people want to see. Uh, yeah, and, what's very uh, disturbing to me about what he talked about is this: all these departures that he made, he named. He didn't name names for the most part, but he talked about the chief risk officer, who is a, a new position created, created by the mayor to uh, rein in. Uh, this judgment and settlement ongoing expense. Well, she she apparently left out of the blue. Her name was is Tamika Puckett, and she was uh, uh, standing up this uh, system for analyzing when these mis- misconduct cases occur to analyze what are the systemic patterns and practices that need to be addressed, which hasn't been done in Chicago, but it is done in places like uh, New York City. And uh, he talked about the deputy mayor for public safety, who is the person in the mayor's office who uh, is, is uh, responsible for all this. Susan Lee, she left. She started in June of 2019. Uh, he talked about the person in the police department, who is the head of constitutional policing and reform, Barb West. She was appointed in January. Yeah. She retired. But he even didn't even mention that the person in the inspector general's office, who is the deputy inspector general for public safety, they've gone through three of those now. They, they hired Laura Kennard in uh, 2017. She lasted six months. Joseph LaPerry, who lasted less than two years. And now he has a woman named Deborah Whitsburg. So this is a I, I'm not sure what this uh, what what's going on here. But the fact that all these people have rotated in and out the last few years it's uh there's something going on and uh, it's worth looking into well it's a very frustrating difficult challenge that they're facing to try to change a culture a whole way of 
behaving in the city of Chicago and that uh, there's not a lot of there's a strong resistance to it. And uh, I've had this debate with Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez and with uh, uh, other advocates and Carlos Ramirez Rosa who want to defund the police. Uh, there's very strong resistance to that. And that's the reality that my beloved lefties have to recognize that the defund the police movement uh, will cause stir much opposition. We'll be talking about this at the hideout tonight. There are those uh, moderates in the Democratic Party uh, who feel as though it's the kiss of death to embrace that as a movement. And so there's resistance not only outside of Chicago, but inside Chicago. Those votes, those 21 votes were not just lefty voters uh, who voted no, saying they don't like the um, the, the, the direction the city's going in, the values expressed by the budget. They also were votes of, quote unquote, moderates and, and people from MAGA wards who don't want property tax raised, don't want police defunded, uh, and yet somehow or other want to maintain uh, the status quo. And so in some ways, I would argue they're more irresponsible than any lefty, but it's still the mayor has to deal with them. And the reality is this, that there would be an outcry, Dave, uh, if the city were to move to defund the police in the way that Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez and Carlos Ramirez Rosa want them to. That's the reality. There would be much resistance and they'd all be saying, give up your cops. You don't want your cops, Carlos? We'll take your cops. And that's what we're up against. At the same time, the same people are saying that don't want to raise taxes to pay for the cops. Well, so if, you, if you listen to Inspector General Ferguson, there's no danger of defunding the police anytime soon because of yeah. uh, because of the infrastructure. Then no. we're going to do we're going to do Mash next. This is the last one, right? This is the last one. Uh, okay. I, th- I thought I'd put together a, a sort of mashup of different perspectives by a couple of folks who voted for the budget and against the budget. Some of the aldermen who we haven't heard from yet. We're going to listen to uh, Alderman David Moore of the Southside 17th Ward. We're going to listen to Alderman Brian Hopkins of the 2nd Ward, uh, which is uh, sort of a, uh, what is that shape like? Uh, I've heard many different descriptions of it. A snake or something. (laughs) Uh, And uh, Alderman Jeanette, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor of the the 20th Ward on the south side. And we'll hear uh, who else is in this one. Uh, I am looking for, I don't recall, but uh, we'll, we'll find it. Uh, how are we doing, Dennis? Hey, we're good. I got uh, more Taylor and Hopkins. You want to do those? No. Oh. <laughs> you ready? Yep. Let's hear it. Here we go. Starting with more. Alderman David Moore. No, 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 no. Because I don't have a sorry. mash one. I just have you these don't. separately now. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I could play them oh, all at the same time. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if I that'll think, really go anywhere, though. I think this is good a time to cut it. We're moving, uh, we've, uh, running out of time. We clearly run out of time, and I got a 4 o'clock interview. I am uh, got my eyeballs on. Dennis is going to drop this. So uh, we'll save the mash tape uh, for a little while. I think we've covered all the bases. I just want to tell anybody, you want to hear Jeanette Taylor. Uh, she came on the show on Thursday, or we dropped that show Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. So check her out. Uh, she was um, outspoken in her no vote. And uh, so, uh, Dave... Thank you very much. You went uh, beyond the call of duty uh, with this uh, budget breakdown analysis. We covered all bases. I think we gave absolutely everyone an opportunity to speak their mind. 
Thank you. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. And if folks want to hear and see more about the Chicago City Council's budget, then go to shygov.com, that's C-H-I-G-O-V.com, or look on Facebook at facebook.com slash insidegov. All right, I want to remind everybody uh, at 6.30, I'll be doing a first Tuesday with Maya Dukmasova, uh, Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, and Peter P.C. Cunningham, a debate between the moderates and the lefties in the Democratic Party. Where should we go? Uh, what's our future? Uh, you can find it at noonchorus.com backslash hideout, N-O-O-N-C-H-O-R-U-S.com backslash hideout. Uh, so that should be uh, a very uh, fascinating debate. I want to thank Dave Gloss doing a great job uh, breaking down the Chicago City Council vote. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of all in the world, without whom the show would be possible. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash, Dr. D. I See will. Springtime. Love it. Springtime. Love it. Alderman Taylor. Alderman Taylor.